0: It's Thursday, February 22nd, and people still are, of course, coming to terms with the shocking news that Green MP Ephesol Collins has died while taking part in a charity event in central Auckland. It's also a tough day for Cantabs, because today marks 13 years since the devastating Christchurch earthquakes. Quite a lot going on, so please be kind to yourself today. Kia ora, this is Newsable, I'm Imogen, and this is What's Worth Talking About. He's the country's first ever dedicated minister for mental health, so how is Matt Doocy planning on tackling our mental health crisis? Rats and mice and flies in our supermarkets and warnings about imported food. What on earth is going on with our kai? Plus, is this the easiest and best one-off side hustles of all time? All that's coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz/support. New Zealand's mental health crisis shows no sign of easing. Our suicide rates are among the worst in the developed world, particularly among young people. A report from the Auditor-General says the mental health needs of many youth are not being met and waiting times for specialist care are getting longer. The latest figures from Health New Zealand Te Whatu Ora show the number of Māori suicides is nearly double that for non-Māori. Neither of the major parties has been able to turn the tide while in government, but for the first time, New Zealand has a dedicated mental health minister, Matt Dosey, who joins us now. Welcome to Newsable Minister.
1: Thank you, Imogen. Thank you for having me.
0: Why can't we sort this out?
1: In a way, we're not alone. Um, comparable Western countries are grappling with better mental health as well. Um, for me, I suppose the reason I advocated for a standalone mental health minister role. is When I looked around the world, some countries had decided to have a mental health ministry. I didn't think we needed that. In fact, that I think would have caused mental health to be even more siloed than it is now. So to have a person that's got a dedicated time, but also to get mental health slightly out of health, And what are we doing in education, in corrections, within housing, um, within business?
0: So what does that mean for you? What is your role then as mental health minister?
1: Yeah, so if you look at within the health uh, area, I'm responsible for the two and a half billion dollars that we currently spend every year for the mental health and addiction ring fence funding. But part of the criticism of the Auditor General is that uh, there is other government departments that have a role to play here. So part of my role is actually working with the Ministry for Education, because that's actually uh, a key driver Mm -hmm. with youth.
0: Minister, I mentioned the suicide rates for Māori. Will you commit to a dedicated mental health effort for helping Māori?
1: Yeah, 100%. And I actually want to acknowledge the work of my um, colleagues across Parliament uh, in establishing Parliament's first cross-party mental health group. Uh, Our first report was called Zero Suicides Aotearoa. And it was about looking at how we create a better approach to suicide prevention. Um, one key aspect of that program, because many people will get hung up on the name when you say zero suicides and say, you know, is that achievable? But the reality is, if we had a different target that is accepting that there is an acceptable level of suicide, which I don't think anybody agrees with. But what is underneath the approach, it's a continuous improvement approach where what we do is set out our suicide prevention strategy, look what works, put all the resources into that, what doesn't work, leave that alone, and look at continuing to improve. But basically what that report says is actually we've got to get into the detail and on the ground with different parts of New Zealanders. So what that means is what works for suicide prevention and say middle-aged dairy farmers, where I live in North Canterbury, could be quite different than young Māori in South Auckland. One area I would flag up is that if you look at say Māori, is that I firmly believe that we need uh, services that are delivered by Māori for Māori, uh, whether it is Kopapa or tikanga Māori services, because that is the stuff that breaks down the stigma and the discrimination and the barriers for people to access support. Another great example, if you look at the programme of Mates in Construction, Mm. construction sector has the highest suicide rate out of any sector in New Zealand. And why that service and programme is so powerful is you've got construction workers trained up to deliver suicide prevention Mm -hmm. interventions. So when their colleague looks at them, they see themselves in them and they're more open to hearing the message.
0: Is that cross-party work going to continue and how... Is it going to continue? Because there does appear to be an unusually high level of tension uh, at Parliament between the various parties at the moment. Will a unified approach work, and is it a reality?
1: Well, I do hope so, because I put a lot of effort into that group, like uh, many of my colleagues. Um, I now, as the minister, have to step away from that cross-party group. No Labour minister or health minister ever met with that group. I will be meeting them directly as a mental health minister and actually authorising that group. I think they can do a lot more because I've always been of the belief there will be differences, which you highlight. We've got a lot of differences, but I'm a firm believer in life. We have a lot of commonalities. And if that cross-party group can agree policy settings, then in fact, it doesn't matter what colour the government is because we'll have long-term policy settings that are going to respond to mental health in New Zealand.
0: The Royal Australian and New Zealand College of Psychiatrists wants whole-scale reform of our mental health care system, saying it's soul-destroying and not fit for purpose. What does whole-scale reform look like?
1: I, I won't want to speak on uh, their behalf, the Royal College of Psychiatrists. I do work very collaboratively with Haran Thebru, who is the president, and uh, I look forward to working with all the workforce Colleges as well, because when when you look at my priorities, uh, there's three key areas. I think what we need to do around better mental health and well being in New Zealand. We've got to increase access to support. That support mm. is not just treatment of illness. That's also um, how we get in earlier as well. And well, it comes down to
0: resourcing, though, doesn't it, Minister? Ninety four percent of the people that took part in this. Um, survey by the Australian New Zealand psychiatrists, 94% say the resourcing of inpatient and secondary mental health addiction services aren't fit for purpose.
1: Yes, and it will come down uh, somewhat to resourcing, but I must say, uh, if it was all about the dollars, then, uh, you know, the last government would have cracked it, and they didn't. And what they failed to understand is it's more than just announcing money. We can announce money as governments. The issue is, if you don't address the structural issues within the mental health system, that money is not going to flow to the ground. And why I say that is that I actually have very candid... Uh, conversations now with officials who were actually officials in the last government, they tell me things like when the last government was making announcements around mental health, they knew at the time they couldn't implement those announcements. And I'll give you one key area which has been the biggest barrier to growing access to timely mental health and addiction support in New Zealand is the mental health workforce crisis. So, yep, you can announce money and you say what you're going to do, but if you don't actually have the workforce to deliver it, that service isn't going to open.
0: But this, of course, you know, mental health has been an issue for for years prior to the Labour government coming into power. So what then is your plan? You know, it wasn't solved by the previous national government yes. either.
1: Yeah. So that's why I'm saying the three key priorities for me uh, is around access. We've We've done very well as a country breaking that stigma and discrimination down. Um, but the next step now, as more people are asking for help, they're taking that leap of faith. When they do ask for help, quite often that timely support's not there. And that's a good example of what we're doing with Gumboot Friday. We're going to fund them $6 million a year. That is uh, thousands of more support for young people. The second area will be about workforce The constraints in each part of the professions is slightly different. If you want to take one, psychology, the constraint is we have enough young people who, well, actually there'll be older people as well, who graduate with undergraduate psychology degrees, hundreds of them, but we only currently fund around 40 to 50 clinical uh, placement interns. So the data I've seen in the last few weeks from officials with workforce modelling shows that actually to go some way to reduce the vacancy rates in psychology we need to train 350 psychologists a year do you know how many we're currently training 50 so are we ever going to catch up no and then the final point i'd make about my third priority is quite rightly we focus on treating mental illness and that is right but we always need to be very mindful in mental health there's a parallel work stream of promoting mental well-being, Because, of course, the more we make people well, the less mental illness we'll arguably have um, later in life. So we always need to be doing both at the same stage.
0: Mental Health Minister Matt Doocy, kia ora for your time.
1: Thank you, Imogen.
0: We love your feedback. So if you've got something to say, some comments to make, do get in touch. Email us newsable at staff.co.nz. And remember, to make sure you never miss an episode of Newsable, chuck us a follow on your favourite podcast platform. What on earth is going on? With our supermarkets and our food. Rats and flies seem to have collectively decided to make homes in the aisles and fridges of some of our grocery stores. And the Auditor General has just told the Ministry for Primary Industries it needs to strengthen its monitoring of food importers. After frozen berries were recalled last year over fears of Hepatitis A, and there was a scare that some imported tahini had salmonella. It makes you think... Is any food safe? Well, here to unpack all of this is John Palmer, an associate professor at Massey University School of Food and Advanced Technology. John, thank you for being here. Thank you. John, how do we end up with pests like rats, mice, or flies in our supermarkets? Like what is going wrong in order for that to happen?
2: Well, there's probably several things, actually. Probably time of year, this is where mice probably looking for water and other food products. Time of year, they're probably hunting that down. But I suspect that the pest control program, the mice coming in and rats coming in, probably put that under pressure and basically overwhelmed it. Mm. The supermarkets probably really need to monitor that a bit more closely. And I'm sure they are now. I'm sure they've had the hard work from MPI to say, hey, sort this out
0: fingers crossed uh, what are the health implications john from food that's been around rats and flies are these specific illnesses that people are greater risk
2: of getting yeah the greatest is probably salmonella and and that basically comes from the fecal material of the rats and the mice they are well-known carriers of salmonella the sheer observation of rats and mice in super is not a great not a great look but in terms of the pathogens and which is really kind of my area is more yeah, in the food microbiology as a scientist. Mm. Things like salmonella um, and some other bugs they can bring in as well, Things, p- potentially listeria as well and a few others. But salmonella would be the top of my list.
0: Yeah. Uh, let's turn to the imported food now. Ministry figures show 27 out of 60 recalled products in 2022 were imported food items. What does that tell you about the state of our monitoring? Nearly half of all recalled were from imported foods.
2: Well, it comes back to risk. What is a risky food? And so, some of these products that have been recalled fall in the category of high risk foods. And these things include things like peanut butters, potato nuts, um, seafood, dairy products, um, unpasteurized um, cheeses and soft cheeses, and stuff like that. They are really what we categorize as high risk foods. So, in high-risk foods, you've got, we're looking at ways how we can control pathogens that can get into foods and potentially grown foods. And in food safety, most of our regimes have have systems in place where we say, we either pasteurize or we have a heat treatment or we have what we call pH control. So we lower the pH or we change the water activity. But that's basically drying the food. A lot of these are, tend to become from high-risk foods. So there's the public demanding these types of products. So there's pressure on the system to bring these products in. To me, the first question I would say back is, are MPI funded enough to actually monitor everything? Mm. And I don't know the answer to that. High-risk foods always bring their own risks in. And there's a greater public demand for that, like the raw milk. Mm. I'm not a great fan of raw milk. I'm a microbiologist, food microbiologist. So I'm really not a great <laughs> Ground- fan groundbreaking of Groundbreaking from
0: you, John. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but people demand that. Yeah. People demand it. And we're seeing there was an outbreak just recently in Hawke's Bay with mm. Campylobacter back and raw milk. And, and me and my colleagues are sitting here going, no surprise. Mm.
0: Is the food in our supermarket safe, John?
2: In general, yes. Most food board cases actually occur in the home environment. A lot of people don't understand basic food microbiology in terms of food safety, what they should do, and et cetera, et cetera. How long do you store things in the fridge after cooking? You know, we recommend no more than three days. Mm. So once you cook a meal and you want to chill it down, you chill it down fast as you can, no more than three days in the fridge is a general rule. There's aspects like that. I think the public don't have a great knowledge of, essentially. There
0: you go, everyone who meal preps, three days and no longer than three days. John Palmer, an associate professor at Massey University School of Food and Advanced Technology. Fascinating stuff. I'm off to go check everything that's in my fridge. Off the back of that interview with John, I'm going to pop a poll up on the old Stuff Instagram page. The question will be about something John just informed us all about. I'm not going to tell you the question, though. Not right now. Head to the Stuff Instagram page today. That's at NZ Stuff. Get your vote in for the correct answer. I'm really interested to see how everyone goes. I have faith, but I'm also testing it.
1: Kia ora, I'm Adam Blair i played the great game of rugby league for the Storm, Tigers, Broncos and the Mighty Warriors And I'm Goran Paladin, sports presenter and rugby league fanatic I won a World Cup too I played 51 tests for New Zealand Yeah, he's a national treasure, people Come on Blairy and I, we're joining forces for a brand new rugby league podcast called League of Our Own. Each week we talk Kiwis across the NRL and, of course, everything WAS. All the big names, the big stories. And some of my own stories, too. Well, if we can make them fit. We'll make time. Okay. League of Our Own with Blairy and Goran. Debut ep dropping on Wednesday afternoon and every Wednesday after that. You can listen through stuff.co.nz or wherever you get your podcast. Proudly brought to you by Snap Rentals. Mate, your your stories are way too long, eh? Nah, we've got to take them on a journey.
0: <laughs> oh, the journey. Yeah, of course. <laughs> this has got to be the most bizarre, too-good-to-be-true, one-off side hustles in the history of side hustles. A US online gambling website is offering someone more than $3,000 New Zealand dollars to watch all 10 of the films nominated for Best Picture at this year's Oscars and then predict the outcome of the award ceremony. You get the three-odd grand plus an $800 DoorDash gift card, it's like Uber Eats, plus a 65-inch 4K TV just to do the job, simply just to watch the films and make your predictions. You don't have to get the predictions correct. I double-checked this. The payment includes the tally and the takeaways vouchers so that you can be comfy while you're watching your 10 films before you make your predictions. You've got to rate the films from 1 to 10. Among the list are Barbie and Oppenheimer. I don't know those ones. They must be some small indie films from a festival that's that's not breaking, broken the uh, maestro and poor things are also in there. They don't just want you to predict the winner of the Best Picture, they also want you to predict the winners of Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress and then Best Supporting Actor and Actress too. The only catch and I am sorry for only telling you this uh, now but if I told you earlier you may have switched off, you, you do have to be a US or Canadian resident so it's it's not it's not for us here in Aotearoa New Zealand unless you're listening from US or Canada and you're welcome. I've just found you a very easy gig. Uh, I have read and reread the terms and conditions of this thing I am still stumped as to how this is real how you get all this payment just to make predictions that don't have to be correct but there you go and I also then took the time to look at the application form Uh, it's just a google form like a survey asks for your name your email address your date of birth and then you have to write why you think you should be chosen it's as simple as that It's, it's honestly this has me stumped and you know what I reckon I'd actually be quite good for this job because I've only seen two of the two of the movies. You can guess which ones they were. Uh, so I would be coming at this with fresh, fresh eyes. Impartial. As impartial as they get. Am I? I do have a lot of opinions. Hey, that's Newsable for today. I'm Imogen Wells. Have a good one. If you liked listening to this pod, help us make more like this. Visit stuff.co.nz slash support.